I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Wesley Pope sat with his hand stretched flat across the top of the table. He had not been cuffed to the bar on the table, but instinctively or intentionally, he kept his hand as far from it as possible. Mr. Pope. Why am I here? Where were you last night? That's what you need to know? I could have told you that back at the club. I was with Haven. You and Haven Otomo are dating. Well, don't act so surprised. Not surprised. Just noting it. Where were you? We were at her apartment. Do you have an address? I don't memorize addresses. We were on Van Ness somewhere, in an apartment building. She opened the gate, and we went in. Do you remember the cross street? A few blocks down from the prime rib place. Did you meet there? No. We were at group, over at Lynn's place. We left from there. At what time? Seven. Those sessions usually go for two hours or longer. Can you remind me why I'm here? Blossom opened a file folder. 
Does the name Liston Cologne mean anything to you? Should it? As if dealing cards, Blossom slid a photo, face down, in front of Wesley Pope. The man turned it over slowly. It was a portrait of a young man. Wesley stared at it, and Blossom spotted a glimmer of something, perhaps recognition. He couldn't tell for certain. In the photo, a handsome young man posed with boxing gloves, beaming as he pretended to jab at the camera. When this photo was taken, Liston had been 20, but at 20 he was more physically developed than most men and might have passed for someone 10 years older. Two years ago, during the 2015 BART shooting, he would have been one of the larger men in mass. I mean, I might have met him, but I can't be sure. His parents came from Cuba, and he spoke with a slight accent. Wesley kept his eyes on the photo. You know why they called him Listening? His dad was a big boxing fan, and apparently, when he was born, Listen's hands were unusually big for a baby, like he could have climbed out of the womb by himself. The original Sonny Liston, well, you're too young to remember. Hell, even I'm too young to remember. But the size of Sonny Liston's hands was legendary. His fists were so big that they had to make special gloves for him. I guess it was fortuitous that Liston Cologne went into boxing. Like the Sandman. What's that? The Sandman in comic books. He used to fight Spider-Man. He was made out of sand and could turn his fist into hammers. I don't know him. Well, he knew you. Blossom pulled another photograph and slid it across the table, face down. Wesley hesitated before turning it over. But it was a painting. A stylized portrait of the rapper Pitbull. A bald man with large sunglasses. In the background, a map of Cuba filled the rest of the frame. The corner had been signed by the artist, Bishop. Did you sell that to Liston Cologne? I didn't sell it to the kid. The father found me and commissioned it a few years ago. I don't know if it's because the kid liked me or because he liked Pitbull. But yeah, I made it. Do you mind me asking how much he paid? Not much. I used a small canvas and he seemed like a nice guy. Probably less than 200. I don't remember the exact amount. You remember where he lived? I never delivered it. The dad came to my studio, we boxed it up, and he took it away. Did you have any other contact with the Cologne family? Maybe I got an email to thank me. I can't remember. It wasn't that long ago. Do you sell that many pieces? I sell my share. If I sold an original piece of artwork, I might remember. (sighs) Well, good for you. Wesley looked down at the photo of his painting. You just take this photo? This morning. They still have it hanging. (laughs) Oh, that's sweet. Gibson plucked the photo out of his hand, and Blossom slid a third image face down across the table. Do you know what I'm about to show you? Wesley Pope didn't touch the third image, as if he was afraid the paper might singe him. Do I need to see this? Please turn it over. After a few moments, Wesley Pope did as instructed. He might have expected to see the body of Liston, but the photograph showed a mural instead. The paint reformed the concrete wall behind it into a sort of Mount Rushmore, and the faces up there, illustrated with spray paint, but rendered so they looked like they had been carved from granite, were local activists who had hailed from the Oakland area. Bobby Seal, Richard Aoki, Angela Davis, Jerry Brown, Huey Newton, Barbara Lee, and Kamala Harris. The artist had given it a title at the bottom, Mount Trustmore, and signed the work with his recognizable loopy signature, Bishop. Wesley dropped the photo. Yeah, it's mine. 
But what does that have to do with anything? Blossom withdrew a fifth and final photo from the folder. He placed it face down on the table. Liston Cologne was found right by this mural. Now, you don't have to look at this last photo, but you should definitely know what's in it. Wesley's face wrinkled up, and he seemed squeamish. It's the second time we found a body near one of your murals. Now, since we also discovered that one of the victim's families is hanging a Bishop original in their home, it does make me wonder whether you knew some of these young men more than you let on. Sorry to disappoint, but I don't. I don't know why you found people near my work. It could be a coincidence. If it is, so be it. We're charged with having to chase down every clue, however unlikely it is to lead anywhere. Wesley touched the photo a few times, the way a card player might finger a card before flipping it to see how his luck might change. Finally, he turned it over. Most of the body had been ripped to shreds. The camera flash glinted off the skull. One eye hung out of its socket. The other was missing. The flesh on the side of the face had been scraped off, leaving a ghastly grin. In place of the deep, dark brown skin was the red-tinged black of blood-saturated tissue. The train struck him and dragged his body down the line. The impact tore both arms from their sockets, and you can see the force ripped much of the flesh from his trunk. You can see the ribs, right? His head probably bounced on the tines and almost separated from the body when we lifted what was left. When the train decelerated enough, his body slid off the front car and into the gravel alongside of the rails. Barely looks human. I know. We know Liston Cologne was best friends with Sid Ballard, the third body we found. In fact, Sid dated Liston's younger sister, Benita. That's how close they were. There's a network of connections forming. The right person with the right contacts could have found out who was on that train the evening of March 25th, 2015. Maybe someone did and decided to hunt them down. Wesley placed the image back on the table, face down. So, let me ask you again. What did you do yesterday evening? We started out at Lynn's. Everyone was all excited because you guys kept finding new bodies and there was a lot of interest in the idea that someone was tracking down these kids and killing them. I couldn't take it. All right, I had to leave. Why did you leave? Because I can't revel in someone else's death. I can't celebrate it. To me, it's just another black man in the ground. I'm not going to be happy about that. Even if this turns out to be one of the men who shot me, whatever kind of circle jerk was happening at Lynn's house, I didn't want to be a part of it. Man, I want to celebrate life, not death. Made me sick the way people got. Like they were at a lynching. I need to leave. So you left. When? God knows, man. Maybe a half hour into the group. You can ask Lynn. What next? Haven followed me. I think she was worried about me. We went back to her place. Until when? For the rest of the night. Until the morning. Make any calls that night? 
listen, I know Liston Cologne wasn't a good man. All those boxing skills, he applied them as a low-level enforcer. Broke a lot of bones. Probably tried to help a few guys fly off a rooftop or two. Man, if he was that bad, what was he doing out of prison? You need people who are willing to speak up. When folks stay quiet, criminals keep on doing their thing. Wesley looked down at the photograph and slid it across the table. Not always. Hi, everybody. This is Alex Dolan, the creator of The Patron Saint of Suicides. Thank you so much for listening to Season 1. In addition to the 14 full episodes for Season 1, we also created more of the story. We recorded 15 mini-episodes as part of our Patreon page. So check it out at patreon.com, P-S-O-S. Again, patreon.com slash P-S-O-S. And enjoy the rest of the show. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. I want to take a second to tell you about a podcast I think you'll really like, Mayday. No one is prepared for disaster. No one knows exactly how they'll react in a plane crash, an earthquake, or when a lone gunman decides to open fire. On Mayday, you'll hear about the people who had to find out, people whose stories deserve to be heard. Join hosts Maya Nalani and Luke Welland as they tell you about extraordinary people who found themselves in extraordinary circumstances. Listen to Mayday wherever you get your podcasts. Why are you both here? They've stuck me in an interrogation room and let me sit for an hour before they came in. Blossom and Gibson. All I've been able to think about is Diego. Whether they'll find him in time. Whether he really intended to kill himself tonight. And whether I could have talked him out of it if I didn't have my head up my ass when he reached out for help. Blossom told me that Gibson would trace the number and make a welfare check at the address. But she's sitting right across the table from me. We're all stuck here in this skanky cinder block room with a mirror on one side. Something that looks like a one-star hotel room from the Stalin era. Huh. Officer Gibson checked on the number, just like we promised. Officer Gibson. I remember. Not a detective. We found an address in the marina in San Francisco. Because we're the Oakland PD, we had to get in touch with an SFPD patrolman to make the check. 
Have you heard anything from the SFPD? Not yet. Has anyone called Diego back? It will be more effective if we go to his house. <sighs> Can I call him? I might be able to talk him out of the crisis before they arrive. Do they know it's an emergency? They do know, and they acted on it immediately. We could get word back any minute from the patrolman in San Francisco. Any minute? You've had me stuck waiting in this room for an hour. Where's Wesley? Wesley is in his own room while we talk to you. What the hell is going on? I'm agitated. It's not like I'm claustrophobic, but I don't like being in cramped spaces, especially when I don't know what I'm doing there. This is the first time I've ever stepped foot in a police station. Every square inch of my skin is prickling. Can you account for your whereabouts last night? I recall Wesley and I in bed from this morning and play and reverse the events that brought us to that coziest of embraces. We started out in group, at Lynn's. I'm exasperated as I'm forced to recount the evening. Divulging secrets has never been my forte, even though I include some personal stuff in my act. I resent every moment. Wesley had a freak out and left. I ran after him. I figure Wesley had told them the truth, so there's no reason to hide anything. One thing led to another, and we ended up back at my place. We were there all night. How long was the interval from the time that Wesley left and the time that you caught up to him? Maybe a minute. How long was Wesley in your sight during the evening? Did he ever leave your apartment to get something at a store, to make a call, anything? He went to the bathroom once or twice, but otherwise, no. No one's telling me anything. I rock back in my cheap, stainless steel chair with my arms across my chest. How often does Wesley stay at your apartment? It was the first time, but thank you for asking. First time. Have you ever been to his apartment? Nope. So last night was the first time you... It was the first time for us. They've managed to pry something from me I might not tell my therapist. Good on them. Jerks. Blossom and Gibson exchange looks. Blossom gives the slightest nod in my direction, indicating he wants a crack at me. Gibson gives a micro nod of assent. Like we told you, we found a fourth body last night. I see the folder he's holding. I don't want to see what's in it. I hope he isn't going to show me photos of dead men. I look into his eyes, hoping to dissuade him from torturing me with images of corpses. You think Wesley had something to do with it? I'm tempted to tell them about Turo. I should tell them. They might protect me from him. I'm sure he'll keep following me, and I'm legitimately worried for my safety. But my instincts tell me that this is a bad idea. I don't want to be here any longer than I have to. And I want to be sure I can reach Diego soon. Having to explain the business with Turo will just complicate things. We're just making sure we can rule him out. Now, there's no way that he might have taken a separate car to your place or told you to wait up while he went to grab condoms at the store. My god, that is so fucking romantic. For the record, you are telling me that you were never out of each other's sight all evening. He was on the sidewalk on his own for a minute or two before I caught up with him, and other than when we went to the bathroom, we were in each other's company throughout the night. Any chance he might have slipped out when you were asleep? Yes, I suppose. 
There's also a chance he drugged me and left me unconscious for several hours when he went out and murdered someone. I suppose in this world of espionage and intrigue you're concocting, anything is possible. But I highly doubt it happened. Please don't take offense at this. But how recently has Wesley Pope taken an interest in you? Excuse me? I can feel my cheeks flush. However hideous you consider me, it is within my capacity to snare a man from time to time. That's not what we're saying. I'm asking specifically about Wesley. When did he first express an interest in you? We've been dating for a couple of weeks. Sort of. Now he's making me question all of my interactions with Wesley Pope. The way I remember it, we had chemistry right off the bat. Or am I wrong? In my head, I remember us immediately lapsing into that phenomenon known as a limerence. That start of a relationship when blood is at its hottest. And all of those creepy, obsessive thoughts crawl into your head. It is the state of purest attraction. I felt it. I'm sure he felt it too. But am I just imagining it? Sort of? A few weeks. We were attracted to each other immediately. I think about how handsome Wesley is, his effortless sense of cool. But I'm pretty. That's what everyone tells me. And I think he was attracted to me from the start. I think. These guys are messing with my head. You sure about that? You think Wesley came over to my place last night with the express purpose of manufacturing an alibi? Gibson withdraws a bit, but Blossom continues to stare at me. Confidently. Empathically. Fuck you both. Can I go? We'd prefer you stay, Haven. Something tells me if I try to leave, they'll find a way to detain me. Maybe arrest me. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm afraid to ask. I could demand a lawyer, but honestly, I don't know who I'd call. I have an agent. Should I call her? Would she have the right contacts? My confusion keeps me planted in my seat. Blossom opens the folder and leafs through the papers. If you have photos of a body, I don't want to see them. You don't need to show me someone's remains so I can appreciate the gravity of the situation. I've seen a body before. That's right. You've seen your father's body. Up until now, he's shown empathy. Or at least been good at faking it. He mentions the definitive moment of my childhood as if remembering a cruise I took to St. Thomas. How dare you? These aren't photos of the man we found last night, Haven. The record's on you, I'm afraid. I immediately try to read his document upside down. It looks like an intake form. I see my name and a photo clipped to it. It's a shot taken a few years ago when my hair was longer and dyed red. You know how I mentioned how Diego might be placed on a 5150? Involuntary psychiatric hold. You know how I knew I didn't have to explain to you what a 5150 was. Did you get those bruises on your face by asking people these kinds of questions? In a way. Lynn gave us the name of your psychiatrist, and when asked, she provided your records. Diagnosed multiple times with bipolar 2 disorder. Well, my father had it. It isn't too much of a stretch to assume I'd have it, too. No assumptions, Haven. 
These are multiple diagnoses from doctors. Current medications include lamotrigine, a mood stabilizer, a ripiprazole, an antipsychotic, and anti-anxiety and sleep aids, alprazolam and zolpidem. I don't correct any of it. I'm a sommelier of pharmaceuticals. You were on disulfiram for a bit to help you get off alcohol. You couldn't stop yourself from having a drink, and it put you in the hospital. I'm a comic. If I don't drink, I'm not part of the club. I have to drink just to prove I'm not an alcoholic. You were also admitted to inpatient treatment twice. Once in 2012, when you were afraid you might harm yourself. And another time in September 2015, after an overdose. It's understandable, Haven. It was a few months after the shooting. You lost your boyfriend, Krish. I hate hearing him use the name. I know he's trying to manipulate me this way. And Crystalal was more than my boyfriend. If we'd given it enough time, I would have married him. We loved that deeply. I know you lost your son that night. I know you lost Milo. I don't say anything, motherfucker. It was his birthday. You took him to a game as a birthday present, and he was shot. The same bullet that hit you killed your son. You watched him die in your arms. A tear trickles down my cheek. I glare at him, the son of a bitch. He has the nerve to look at me with unfathomable kindness, which makes me want to murder. My brain is spinning. I want to run. I want to run so fast away from this place, tear the door off its hinges, and run out of this fucking city until I find some place that doesn't know me by name. Haven, I know it's hard to have a stranger recite all of this. I get that. I'm about to hurt your feelings, and I apologize in advance for that. But because of your medical background, no one would ever call you as a character witness. Whatever protection you think you can give Wesley Pope is an illusion. They would discredit you within minutes of you taking the stand, and that is if any defense attorney would be unscrupulous or incompetent enough to even try it. I'm staring at him through a watery blur, and my body is quaking with the particular rage that comes with helplessness. God damn you. God damn you both. I'm saying this to you not to invalidate you as a person, but to show you how, in our legal system, you can't protect Wesley. So stop trying. Fuck you. We sit in silence for some time. Gibson's checking her phone under the table. Bitch. She can't even pay attention while I'm crumbling. Do you want us to get you a lawyer? Because we can get you a lawyer. They keep thinking I'm attempting to give Wesley an alibi. They keep needling me, hoping I'll spill something. But there's nothing to spill. Did you make the same offer to Wesley? In fact, we did. I stare at this pipe they have bolted to the table. I didn't think much about it until now, but it's this U-shaped loop drilled into the tabletop, and I imagine they must use it to secure handcuffs. It occurs to me again that they haven't arrested me. I want to go home. 
Can I go home? Of course you can. Officer Gibson can show you home. Blossom remains at the table while Gibson opens the door for me. The way the knob turns so easily, it might have never been locked. Gibson leads me down to the elevator. She hands me back my phone almost as an afterthought. Haven, I have to tell you something, but it's not the news you want. What is it? We heard back from the patrolman. He stopped by Diego's apartment, but he didn't find him. They went inside, but he wasn't there. I lose my breath for a moment. When? While we were in the room together, just a few minutes ago. You know that doesn't mean anything, right? He's probably safe, just not at home. Do you think you'll be safe tonight if you're alone? Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. 